Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 75 for Monday, August 1st, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab. The podcast by, for, and about working musicians or people that are interested in working musicians. And I don't mean that in a weird way. I just mean it in like, you know, the way that uh, of the things we talk about on this show. Yeah, I'm going to bail out of this one. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Paul, save me. Bail, bail, bail. <laughs> and Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How you doing on this fine Monday, Paul? I'm doing great today, man. We just finished. I had a busy July. I had 18 gigs in July. We just did we just did three in a row, I, and I had an acoustic on the front end of that, so I just finished four in a row. I'm a little sore. I uh, feel quite fulfilled. The voice is a little grouchy on a, on a Monday morning after, after a busy weekend, but I got a lot of, I got a lot of good stories to share from a, a very busy month from us. That's good. Yeah, I had um, well, I had one gig scheduled for last week. Uh, which was a, a Friday night gig at uh, uh, the Old Rail Pizza Place. So it was an acoustic gig that I did with Fling. So that's me uh, singing and playing Cajon, Russ on guitar, and Aaron um, keys and and singing as well. And Russ sings a little bit too. And, uh, you know, the last time I played there, Paul, the show before it, we talked about people behaving badly. And then right in front of me, that exact thing happened, right? Uh and, and and we talked about that. Well, this time, the show right before it, we talked about cataclysmic mistakes and who can make them and, you know, where that importance comes in. And, of course, <laughs> Friday night, uh, I was haunted by this. But what what's interesting is I've always said with acoustic gigs, even though I'm playing like a cajon, which is, you know, far more like a drum set uh, in terms of sound and function than, say, congas or, or you know, for a, an acoustic gig. I'm still it, – it became evident to me that I'm still not the drummer in terms of keeping time when it comes to an acoustic gig. Right. Um, it, you know, and I've always said that, that I'm, I'm there to provide color, uh, but I'm really not holding it together. And that was, that was proven – I don't know if Aaron listened to, to that episode. He listens to the show sometimes. Uh, I know Russ listened to the episode but uh, before the gig, but – uh, Aaron proved it to both Russ and I three times throughout the night that uh, that if he wanted to be the drummer, by golly, he was the drummer. And he turned the beat around on us three times. And, you know, the first time it was in the uh, kind of the, the the well, what what on the album is the end section of American Girl. But but we do another chorus after that to tie it all together. So he he got lost in that section. Russ and I were totally locked in. We looked at each other. We're like, all right, we'll just stay locked in. He'll come back to us. Well, being that he was pounding on the piano and also singing lead, uh, it turns out Russ and I were incorrect, which meant we were wrong and Aaron was right. (laughs) (laughs) And we got to where the chorus was going to be. And then there came Aaron a half a beat later. And Russ and I are like, okay, that's where we are. So follow the guy who's more right to the people watching. Um, But it did kind of suck because we had some people up dancing and they were grooving with Russ and I. And so this change to Aaron, uh, to Aaron's groove really actually kind of cleared out the, you know, the people dancing, um, which is something you really got to be aware of. And as a, you know, as we were talking last week as a drummer, um, I don't know that I mentioned it, but, you know, I, I, I think I did. I said I have a responsibility not only to the to the rest of the band to hold it together, but to the crowd. And um, we'll call we'll call Aaron an inexperienced drummer. In, in so much as that particular job and um, not being aware of, of that, you know, cost us a little bit. I mean, it wasn't, it was cataclysmic and nobody in died. Sense. Right. That's the thing. Nobody died. Right. <laughs> exactly. It was all good. We, we had a good time and then it happened again. And then it happened like a third time. We only played two sets. I'm looking at Russ when it happens again. I'm like, dude, what's he doing to us? Russ is like, I don't know. <laughs> what did he say? Um, you know, the funny thing is this, we haven't talked to him about it because, you know, these things happen in the middle of songs and you just sort of get to the end and move on. And at the end of the gig, I, I, I forgot about it. In fact, Russ and I drove home together and it didn't even come up. It was just, you know, it's just one of those things. You don't, 
It, what was the eye contact in, in the moment that it happened? Um, there was no eye contact from Aaron in those moments. I don't even know that he knows that it happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. And well, I mean, that can happen, right? That's the point of you make a mistake. You oftentimes it's because you don't know you did something wrong, right? So you can't correct for it. And when we've all done it, but it's, um, yeah, it was interesting, you know, especially after our, <laughs> our dissection of exactly that problem. <laughs> so Aaron, we love you. Um, we just, you know, we were, we had some curiosities in the moment, but it's, it was, it was our, probably our best, uh, our best hamnesiac or fling acoustic. We've, we've changed the name to keep the branding consistent so that it's always fling, um, our best fling acoustic gig. Uh, I think that we've had, it was, it was a little raw as, as, as my story. What made it the best then? Uh, energy wise. And, and we had it, you know, other than, other than those, you know, hiccups, we had good, energy good harmonies uh the the we played a lot of stuff that we have never played acoustic before like we did fool in the rain acoustic which which worked um yeah we did we did some originals that we've never done acoustic so it was it was good um and and part of it started two days before uh because my daughter and her band were scheduled to play at this open mic at this. It's a, it's a coffee house. It's an interesting coffee house. It's a all volunteer place and all the money that they raise goes to raising awareness for human trafficking. And, uh, but it's in the basement of an old frat house. You know, I live in a, in a college town where the university of New Hampshire is. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's a, you know, it, it feels like the basement of a frat house that's been cleaned up. You know, it's, it's a nice little place. And so they, they were playing and they were doing it acoustic, but I was going to go see him. So I went down and Russ's son, uh, plays bass in that band. So he was there and honestly, nobody that I tell the story to believes it. Uh, maybe you won't Paul either, but leaving my house that day, you know, I really didn't think I was going to play anything that night. Like it wasn't even on my radar. It was like, I started getting that stress of like, okay, you got to get everything, you know, what, what do you need? Because because I was helping Sky Prep for this gig, but you know, and I thought, wait a minute, all I'm doing is going and watching some music. Like I get to chill. This is great. So uh, I get there, and you know, there's the sign up sheet or whatever, and Russ says, uh, "Hey, you know, you and I should play something." I'm like, "Oh, okay, that, that's fine." He says, uh, "All right, I'm going to go write our name. You know, write it down on the list. I'm going to put us on the list." I'm like, "That's fine. Okay, no problem. You know, it's only two songs. That's what they limit everybody to. The coffee at the open mic. So it's like, ah, that's fine. We'll figure something out." And, uh, and then I go look at the list and I'm like, Russ, you wrote down Dave Hamilton. Like, it's not just me, you know, we're doing this together. He's like, yeah, you know, you're right. So he goes over and he, you know, writes something else down. I look at the list and now it says Dave Hamilton experience. (laughs) 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 Like, okay. So we did, we, we did a fling original that we'd never played live before, which is sort of what opened the, the thought up to playing some things on Friday night with Aaron that we had never done. And then we played, um, we played a fish song sample in a jar. His two kids came up. His son plays bass and his other son plays guitar. So they both came up and it was me and the Miles boys um, as the Dave Hamilton experience. <laughs> but uh, but it had been a long time. It's a good name, by the way. I know. Yeah, no, I, 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 I fear for how well this is going to stick. Um, you know, the story of my life lately has been, you know, Russ puts my name down for something and then it turns into a big, uh, big production. So... Um, but, you know, I'd forgotten what open mics were like. It was a seven o'clock thing and I had worked all day. Um, I think I'd done a couple of podcasts and it was like, okay, I just got to race down there. I'll grab some dinner afterwards. And I totally forgot that an open mic means you get there at seven. The sign up sheet goes at seven thirty. The host of the open mic plays for like a half hour. And then the open mic portion of the evening starts at, you know, eight or eight fifteen. And I just, right. I, it, it, that's how it always works. It's totally fine. It's a time honored tradition. I just forgot that's how it worked. So it's like, oh crap, I'm going to be like starving and hangry and all of this stuff. But you know, we stayed until about nine o'clock when most of the acts had played. Cause I didn't, I always hate playing and leaving. Um, I didn't quite stay till the end. Um, but it just, you know, I was getting to the point where it was like, yeah, I'm going to be a, a miserable man in here. I got to go like find food, that sort of thing. But, um, but it was great. It was a fun performance. And, uh, and, that's cool. I, I, I unintentionally did something that made people request a fling original. And, uh, and what I did, Russ and I were having trouble deciding between two songs. And so I made the crowd pick, but what it did is it got the whole crowd on board for picking a fling original and now they were invested. So it was, uh, 
It's a trick I will continue to use. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun. That's all I got. All right. So um, I started Thursday night. I had a, an outdoor acoustic gig on the patio of a nice restaurant around yeah. here. The patio was kind of set up really nice. And um, it was one of those nights where a lot of stars aligned. I mean, I had a lot of friends that were there. And the friends that were there were into what I was doing. I mean, they were kind of focused on what I was doing. And that created a vibe where other people who weren't part of my friend group that came kind of were there and said, hey, we want to listen to music. And so they were, they were you know, it was a really nice crowd. And it was just relaxed and easy. And I tried a couple extra things. And, and uh, you know, it was kind of butter. It was one of those times where I, it's really, really fun. I, I actually gave up another restaurant gig because it wasn't fun. And I've yep. been thinking about whether I want to give up more restaurant gigs because, you know, I don't like being told to. I don't play out loud to begin with. I don't sure. like being told to turn down or turn off while people do their their toasts or whatever in the other room or, yeah. you know, or, you know, the whole the whole request thing. You have to have a mindset for that. And it's not when I do these solo acoustic gigs, it's more that I'm trying to get something out of me. You know, that I want to kind of express something and, and uh, I'm kind of focused on that, what I'm doing. And in some environments, that's not good. And, re- and restaurants, you know, with the clinkings of glasses and plates and, you know, then there's a bar and there's TVs and all that type of stuff. That is counterproductive to the, what I'm trying to do when I do these solo things. Yep. I can um, understand so, that. Yeah. We, yeah. I, we, I had a moment. In fact, I turned to Russ and said to him, it, we had good crowd engagement on Friday night, but it took every ounce of effort that I could possibly put into it to engage that crowd and keep them on the hook. You know, and I mean, it was fine. It's exhausting, but it's exhausting. And I turned to Russ like it was, we were mid song at one point. And I said, man, tomorrow, like this is, this is killing me. I said, and tomorrow I don't want to have to deal with a single person Uh all day long, which is, I mean, I said it in a way that I made sure none of the crowd heard it, you know, because as a musician, he would understand it. If the crowd heard that, they'd be like, screw that guy, you know, (laughs) but that's not what I meant. I was happy to be there for them. But But it takes a certain amount of concentration and and, uh, focus and all of it. And it it does. You have to, you have to detach from people for a while after that. I mean, certainly, even that, even that uh, all-star gig I did, you know, I had 18 people with different types of requests and different types of input and all those other things. I needed a no musician couple of days yeah. in order to kind of get back my head back on track. Yeah, you got to recharge. That was a very pleasant one. Yeah, you got to recharge. Yeah, no, this and the gig week, was pleasant. It was, yeah, it, it was not an unpleasant <clears throat> experience at all, you know. Right. But yeah, it happens. Yeah. yeah, so anyway, Friday, good acoustic gig, you know, kind of recharged my love for doing those uh, kind of intimate experiences i get to play what i want and and uh get some good feedback and had some fun with some good people and you know that was really cool and then friday saturday and sunday the house rockers played friday night um one of the bigger festivals in northern california is called the gilroy garlic festival it's about a hundred thousand person festival and this little town of gilroy california has been the host of it since it it began and it's one of the things that put gilroy california on the map and uh, the whole town of Gilroy is a party for this whole weekend. And there are a lot of wineries in the area. We played one of the best, well, the best winery with one of the best concert venues that night. And we had a sold out crowd and it was, you know, the band played great. And it was just a lot of fun. So we had a really high Friday night. Saturday night, we played a corporate gig. Um, and the corporate gig, the people who hired us are really nice. The cause is really nice. Um but uh, of the 450-ish people who come to this, about half of them are there to network and you know, or just have dinner, put their bid in, and then they kind of leave. And the dance floor wasn't as full the second night. And I didn't know if we were going over. The people who were on the dance floor seemed happy. But it wasn't, you know, you kind of get in your mind what you think these things are going to be. We'd never played it before. And um, I didn't know if we were going over, actually. I mean, we, we were, yeah. like you said, we were working really hard that if we got someone on the dance floor, we were going to do everything we could to keep them on the dance floor, interact with them. And I should say one of the nice things, uh, this is a fundraiser for an awesome organization in our area called Christmas in the Park. Uh, in downtown San Jose, um, there's this beautiful display. It's been going on for years and years and years. It's one of those things you bring your family down. You walk through this giant park full of Christmas displays. It's a great tradition. This was a fundraiser for the uh, nonprofit that puts that event on every year. It's called Christmas in July is the event we played. And, you know, just, just for uh, – just for fun, we did get to play Bruce's Santa Claus is Coming to of Town. Of course you for did. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was kind of fun. But that was a um, – we worked very hard for the 60 to 70 people who we got on the dance floor. I, you know, the band played very well. 
Um, but it was a very draining show to play that hard um, on a really big stage on a really warm summer evening outdoors. Um, and we were exhausted. And then we had a four o'clock downbeat, a 4.30 downbeat on Sunday. I expected the band was going to be flat. And we actually ended the weekend crushing it. I mean, I, I, you know, whether, whether everybody went home and said, let's re- regroup or whatever. You know, and that's one of the interesting things, especially with a 10-piece band, but certainly with any size. How does your band collectively deal with changes to their environment, right? right. You know, some guys, you know, there was one or two guys who on the Saturday night gig were pretty beat and, you know, they were playing fine, but it wasn't the usual amount of spark and energy and presence. And I assume that meant the rest of the weekend was going to be shot, but sure. no, came out and then, uh, and Sunday was really rewarding. So we ended a really, really busy month with possibly the best show of the month. Just great vibe, great energy. Band played very, very crisply. And it was really kind of a fun thing, but it, it got me thinking a lot about about um, you know your your band collectively has a personality, a soul. Mm-hmm. Each individual person in the band, of course, you know, has their own Contrib- vibe going on. Contributes to that, but it's well, different. yeah, yeah. But it's the dynamics, the social dynamics of everybody in the band, and it got me thinking about a friend of mine who has a band. Um, he's a very good front person. He's a good singer. And he's trying to figure out the right, the right um, combination of things for his band. You know, he's had some guys in his band that he, you know, I don't even know the story of how they started, but um, whatever reason, you know, he had some guys in his band that weren't as committed, or you know, it was too far away for some of the gigs, or the gigs didn't pay enough, and he kind of found himself in a little bit of no man's land where he was he was been subbing out quite a bit. Sure. And then he made an interesting decision was to just go, if I'm going to sub, I might as well get the best subs I can get. And he started hiring some, you know, really well-known local players. Um, and, you know, probably I'm guessing he's probably paying, you know, for them, you know, maybe even going out of pocket on it um, in the interest of getting his band going. And then, you know, those guys have other first calls or second calls that they're more committed to. And so he's kind of gets back to the same situation. And so I've been thinking about, you know, bands that are trying to get going and, and, you know, maybe tailor this conversation to people who want to start bands or who want to lead bands and just, I don't know. I mean, Dave, I I assume most of the people who listen to our show um, are kind of weekend warriors. Uh, You know, they've got one or two steady gigs. They're playing two, three, four times a month. And, you know, that's kind of the sweet spot. Is that what your guess is as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, the, of the musicians that listen, yeah, yeah. I, but I think there's—I mean, I think there's people. There's certainly non-musicians that listen. We know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, and then there's some musicians that are full-time musicians that that listen, and then some that maybe aren't even playing out yet that listen. Yeah. So I was thinking about that group of people who are just getting their group together, and and uh, you know, they're scrambling for gigs, and or they're scrambling to get their band together, and so. Just thought I'd offer a couple of thoughts on, you know, that that path. You know, a lot of times it's guys who um, are picking their guitar up or picking their instrument up after several years of having it down, you know, raising a family or whatever it may be. I think that's a pretty common thing. That's what happened for me, certainly. Sure. Um, or, you know, or it could be, you know, guys who just have been in their bedroom for a long time and they really want to get out. They, you know, it's been a lifelong goal of theirs to get out. Definitely. Yeah. So, um one of the guys in Fling has uh, our our guitar player Mike. He's this is the first band he ever played in. Yeah, and you know he's he's uh, middle aged like the rest of us. You know, and um, how is he doing? I mean, is he an accomplished musician? But he was a bedroom musician, and and you know what kept him from being going out? Um, I I don't know to be honest. What kept him from going out? Uh, I think, you know, the rest of life kind of has its distractions and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and I don't, I I don't know when he started, but he only started getting serious about it, uh, you know, a couple of years before fling became a thing. And really, I I think I I should ask him, in fact, we we should have him on the show to talk about it because I think it'd be an interesting path to hear about. But, uh, but I think fling was a part of the, the catalyst because when fling started, as I've mentioned, it's the intention was never to play out. It was just guys playing in, in Russ's basement. I wasn't even involved at that point. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, and that's okay. That's all good. Yeah. So I'm thinking back to when I started the house rockers 17 years ago and, 
you know, I didn't know any musicians really. And, you know, I made a couple of contacts and met a guy who was a drummer and uh, met a guy. I think I put a Craigslist ad. I, I wrote, you know, a very wordy, overly wordy thinking I was the most had the most unique idea in the world to put this band together. And, uh, you know, Craigslist is an interesting, you know, you, need, you go through about 50 challenges to find one keeper, I think is a pretty accurate you know, thing. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, so how do you find musicians to even start a band? Craigslist is the, is the low hanging fruit ads in your local music store, certainly something, but again, a lot of people are doing that. And so, but anyway, I did what a lot of people did as, you know, the first guys I met who said they could play, we got together and I was just happy to have some guys to play with. Sure. Then, but you know, and then some guys came and went, some guys wanted something more real immediately. Some guys, you know, there was not a good mix with all these types of things. I met one guy, who um, he was in a big band and he had a whole horn section of, you know, he goes, I can, I can give you a horn section. And so I got all five of those guys and, you know, mm. that we had a horn section right from the beginning. But the point of all this is in selecting a band, I think a lot of times, and I'm thinking about my friend here, you know, you kind of get the first guys that will say they want to do it. And then you try to shoehorn that experience. And remember, this is 180 degrees from the pros who have great networks sure, or, or know from experience to be picky. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, when you're starting out, you kind of take what you get and then you, you, you try to make it work and you, you often have delusions of grandeur that now that you found some guys who share your vision, you're going to go forward. But so you start, you rehearse, you know, you get a couple songs together, you get a free gig and you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're in a place where you're you, if you're the leader and founder and organizer of the band, have you done a reality check with the guys who you want to play with, you know, to make sure that you're on your way? And I think a lot of times leaders, they forget to communicate. Here's where we're going. Well, and I, I and think I think part of it is that many bands start without the idea of a leader and one emerges. Right. I mean, you, you, you painted one scenario where it's, I, you know, here's this guy. He wants to start a band. He reaches out, you know, he basically following the path that, that you did with the house rockers. But I've been in and I've been in bands like that and I've been in bands where it's, you know, three, four or five people that get together and, you know, wind up playing some music at maybe either a jam session or an open mic. And it, you know, somebody has the idea of, well, you know, we could take this thing and, and show it to the world, too. Yeah. That might be OK. And and maybe that's the person that emerges as the leader. But sometimes it's somebody else that says, all right, if we're going to do this, here we go. You know. uh, interesting. Right. And to me, it did, never dawned on me any differently. In fact, I remember writing that first email saying, here's the deal. I'll do all the work. Right. I'll book the band, but I get to make all the song choices is the only thing I'm asking. Right. So you, know, yeah, and, you guys and, sign up for that. And if you have the emergent leader, that is rarely the case. Does, does that person get to dictate the foundation? Because the foundation, at least part of it is already there. It might be a little soupy, but <laughs> it's there, right? You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. The reason we enjoy playing together is because we play a couple songs that I, that I brought in and a couple songs he brought in and, you know, that guy brought in some and we hated one of them. So we don't play it anymore. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, there, there becomes when you don't have the pressure of putting it out live, democracy is a much easier thing to, 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 um, to use, right? It's, it's, yeah. it makes a whole lot more sense. As soon as it turns into a live thing, there's a, there's a dynamic change. And well, and I, how about this? Yeah. That point of democracy is an interesting thing because the question is, does everybody see it in the same democratic fashion? And does democracy mean the same thing to everybody? Like I said, democracy. Well, it doesn't, made, yeah. It doesn't matter as much if you're not, if, if all you're doing is getting together on Tuesday nights and, and having a jam and then and then go home. Right. And so it's like there's nothing to be democratic about. Well, there is. I mean, there's I want to come back next week. Right. So I need to have enjoyed myself. But but that is different for every person. Right. For yeah. for one guy, it might be I want to make sure that, you know, I play this song that I've been working on either, you know, a cover and it doesn't matter. Right. You know, but I get this riff. I really want to test this out with the guys on Tuesday. Whereas, you know, another guy might be like, I just want to play. I don't care so what we play. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so, but, but that's the thing is it all changes when you add. And now on Friday, <laughs> we're going to play. All right. What songs are we going to play? What time do we have to be there? It suddenly becomes a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually, I think you're right. The one path sometimes is 
I just, it's fun to have a couple guys over and make some music and, you know, in my garage and that's it. That's it. Most of the time, like if, if I think about most of the things I've read on Craigslist, most guys have some vision of what they want to have happen. But for I a see, band. I think that's Craigslist. I mean, I, that's very possible. Absolutely. Right. I'm yeah, just saying. I think you're self-selecting that group. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think you're missing the people that just happen to know each other and get together to play. Well, l- let me try it this way. It, you know, whether it's, it's Craigslist or whether it's um, ads up at the local music store, the guy who took the initiative to put the Craigslist or the ad up yeah. probably has in his mind, you know, what he thinks should happen sure. when he communicates that is going to vary greatly. And I think that's the point that I want to make is, you know, I think, I think the greatest um, uh, need for a band is a common vision, right? Oh, totally. Start right there. You know, what are we going to do? We're going to play out once a month. We're going to play out four times a month. And if we're going to do that, is everybody committed to that vision? So, and again, I'm, I'm reflecting back on this friend of mine who's, who's experimenting with different ways to find the right combination of things. And, you know, this guy is going to give a band 30 to 50 gigs a year, right? So give a musician 30 to 50 gigs a year. You know, my thought would be that's leverage to say, listen, I have 30 to 50 gigs a year, but you got to prioritize this. You can't, you know, I I want guys where this is a first call because that's enough work to justify it. That's what I would do. Well, I'm hearing, yeah, Paul Kent projecting into someone else. Uh, without question. Right. Because I mean, that's what, that's what you've done and it worked. But I, yeah. again, I think it's important to remember that there are many bands that form without any sort of advertisement, not Craigslist, not a thing in the music store. It's four guys that already know each other and just All get right. together to play. Fair and, enough. And, you know, and then, like I said, it, in those scenarios, it's very difficult sometimes to, Those are your buddies. Well, to name, to, to even look back and say, okay, who's the leader? Well, we all decided to do this. You know, uh, someone will emerge uh, as the, the driving force, at least behind getting the gigs, whether or well, not that you, person's the leader. Well, this is the question. If you wait for it to emerge, it might not be what you want, right? That's correct. And so the question is, is <laughs> if you want to start a band. So I'm again, I'm reflecting on my friend. Yeah. Setting ground rules, I th- it's been very helpful for me. Totally. Over communicating, you know, setting expectations as to who the leader is and what the leader's role is. Or, you know, and if the leader, like, again, I, I, I took a tact of I'll do all the work, but I make all the decisions. Sure. And then um, I got to a point where, uh, you know, a band member challenged me and said, well, but here's the deal. If you want people to buy in and kind of give more than just showing up you got to loosen the reins a little bit and, you know, allow a little bit of, allow a little bit of freedom with song selection. And that really challenged me for a really long time. Yeah. You know, that concept is like, well, that doesn't seem fair to me. I mean, the the tacit deal is this, there'll be more money and more gigs here if you just kind of follow my lead. And I, you know, really was a difficult, a difficult thing for me because I had commitment if, right. Yep. Commitment. If, you know, you can bend your, your vision on this. And that's been a little bit part of, again, there's not enough money on the table to own somebody. It's not, you know, this is not the greatest job in the world, even though, you know, it's playing music, you can play music in a lot of ways. If you want someone's commitment and time. And, you know, remember this often means asking guys to rearrange their life for a, for a gig that gets booked or something like that, or telling their wife. Right. So, so there is, you know, the thing. So I, 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 after a lot of soul searching came around to feeling okay with, yeah, I guess that makes sense to me is that buy-in is good and buy-in is, is more emotional for a musician than just a, a tacit exchange of services for time type of thing. So anyway, there's that. And then, so I, the, the point of all this is um, some kind of good conversation. If you're a guy who wants a band, but doesn't want to lead a band that uh, you, you know, you have to decide on that. I think it's very rare that democracies work. Very, very rare. And I hear, I get a lot of feedback from other people that say, listen, someone's got to drive the bus and make the decisions. Otherwise you just kind of, you know, meander aimlessly. And that's, that's a hard thing for a band to do. No, I I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with that, but, but there's, there's two within a, a, um, a structure where there is a leader, there's two different ways of doing it. One is a representative leader that tries to think about, okay, what does everybody want? And now I'm going to merge that together into what we are as a band. And, and that's one type of, of leadership. And then the other type is I'm going to dictate, and this is what I want in the band. And if you want in stick with me. And if you don't, 
No problem. And, 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 and I don't, I don't mean to be flippant about either one of those. They're, they're yeah. both totally valid, but, but that's it. Depending on how the, the band is, how the band came together. One of the two of those is more appropriate. Yeah. I, I I've taken the approach of a benevolent dictatorship, yeah. right? Like I, that's right. I, I fight very hard to remind everybody that I am the bottom line, <coughs> but that's what Russ calls himself in <coughs> fling, by the way, is the benevolent dictator. Well, I think it's apt because you can't run a band no. if you're not concerned about the well-being of the band. And you have to demonstrate that as a leader over Correct. and over again. So you make decisions like what I made, you know, a decision to have someone more invested in the band by giving up a little bit of, of rain. And, you know, there's a constant tension that that uh, that is part of your job. This is part of what you signed up for as a leader. leader. It's not always fun uh, and it's often very trying but and it's very helpful if someone was just to tell you that in the beginning, you're you're um, you're it's an illusion if you think you can get four other guys, you know, for 50, 100, 150, 200 bucks a night to, you know, follow everything you go. I mean, it's a no, rare, it's a rare charismatic person right. that, that can charm snake charm, you know, especially jaded musicians yeah. or, or people with full lives, you know, wives right. and children, that type of thing. So right. so, you know, this concept of leadership and and stating up front when you're getting a band together and deciding who does what there is a lot of work, you know, even that band, I I think I've shared this with you before. It is always funny to me when a guy does a Craigslist and say, Hey, I'm just getting back to it. We just want to do one a month. And I'm like, a, I don't know how you can only do one a month and feel fulfilled, but we've had that conversation. B the amount of effort to do one a month versus the amount of effort to do three or four a month or five a month is not actually that different. And if you're a band that can only do one, especially as a startup, what do you have to think that you can get that one a month? You know, right. like what is it? You know, you know, that's well, your you vision. Some, of what yeah. Things. You need to, I mean, there's defining the number of gig of preferred gigs per month. And then there's being flexible about that. Because even if you say, look, I want to do two to three per month, that means there's going to be some months where you have zero. And there's also going to be some months where you have six. And mm-hmm. and you need to, you know, but that's the conversation you need to have is like, what's the goal and what are our outer limits, you, you know, and are those realistic with each other, right? You, you know, are, do, do they sync up in a way that, that makes sense? Because you are going to get the opportunity to play some some gigs that you're going to want to have, you know, in your in your stable. And it's like, well, OK, but that means now we're playing five gigs this month instead of two or three. And you got to know that everybody is at least on the surface okay with with that. Now there might be a scheduling issue, and that's a different thing to deal with versus somebody just saying, "No, you know, I'm totally open, but uh, I don't have anything else booked. But I just want to sit home. I don't yeah. want to, you know." That's two different conversations, and and you need to you just need to have those right. You yeah. need to know what's going on. Yeah, but Last you know, like I- like Fling, it's interesting uh, because Russ, it, it really is Russ's band. He pulled it all together. Um, when it when it needed to be pulled together, uh, it started at his house. But he, um, I'll call Russ a a lazy dictator, right? In that he's happy letting other people do the work as long as they're competent at doing the work. Um, he has a real problem with incompetence, which I think is a good thing in a in a leader. But maybe maybe it could be argued that it's not. Right. Uh, but you know, like Mike started booking all the gigs because Mike wanted to book more gigs, and so great. That's Mike's job now. No problem. Set list for the gigs. That basically falls to me unless I punt it to somebody else and say, hey, look, it's, you know, this, this week it's too crazy. You, you know, somebody else want to do the list and then somebody will grab it, you know, because people are always frustrated with the set list I make just because, <laughs> be, well, because people are, because we're all people like I'll, I'm going to be frustrated with the set list somebody else makes. It's like, oh, hey, wait, I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, yeah, but you didn't do it. So. That's why we're doing this one. <laughs> and again, this is that part of leadership, right? Yep, I mean, that's it. Everyone won't be happy all the time. No. The way that you react to that displeasure is also a thing. Some people get very offended yes. at the pushback. Like, can't you see how much work I'm doing? And, you know, but that that's a whole communication tact in itself. It is. How when you get the pushback, everything doesn't have to be a nuclear war, right? Nope. No. And they're, you know, the really great ones find a way of reminding you, I get it, but this was our deal and right. you agreed to it. And so, you know, don't give me a hard time on it. Yeah, it's I get it. And you know what? Tell me what you would have done differently. And I'll I'll factor that in for the next one. It's Maybe. all good. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah, I'll 
I'll take that under advisement for the next there you one. Go. Yeah. 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 That's, that's all part of, you know, leadership part of it. So totally. Yeah. You got to be able to, and people, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot on our small business show and, and we are talking about running a small business here, right? I mean, a band is, is a small business, uh, at, 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 at its core. And one of the things is that people uh, like to complain about leaders, but people tend to gravitate towards them uh, at the same time because it's someone making a decision that's marching things forward. Yeah. And that is noble. Yeah. Well, and it's also not something that everyone just does naturally, you know, so you are either someone that's leading and and you can be the same person, right? I mean, you can play both roles in in different scenarios. I certainly um, do, but, uh, you know, you're either leading or you're following and, and, yeah. and that's okay. Either like, it's all good. Takes both. It takes both. That's right. Yeah. So my last thought on this, you know, for these kind of startup bands, you know, commitment of your players, I think is a really important thing. And, and I've said on this show many times, subs are a really difficult thing for me to swallow. And, I, and you and I had slightly different opinions about this, but I'm going to restate my position on this is your, your, Band is a brand. It is a promise to the people who are going to come see you. And some people like bass players and some people like drummers and some people like keyboard players and everybody likes guitarists. And um, Except drummers, bass players, and <laughs> keyboard players, but that's okay. <laughs> and so, you know, I think going into a um, – uh, if you want to create a brand – if you want your band to mean something to people, consistency is a valuable thing. It's a valuable thing in terms of the quality of the performance. And I'm going to digress here for a little bit. So I saw a band the other day where um, the lead singer was singing his butt off. Um, the guitar player is a pretty regular person and, and he was playing, you know, doing kind of his thing. And the rhythm section was hired. The rhythm section was phoning it in. You could tell, mm. I mean, I mean, you could just, you could just tell they were playing the right notes there was no presence to their playing. There was no engagement. And, uh, you know, I think it damaged the overall thing. And um, the, the deal is this. A band is a pretty magical thing when it works. It's guys who are, you know, enjoying playing with each other. It's guys who um, the net sum of the parts is greater, right, than yep. any of the individuals, right? Yep. And that's that's a very rare thing. I guess if you're going to start something that is, you know, Paul Kent – the Paul Kent band or something like that. I, I might, I recommend the Paul Kent experience. Yeah. That's a good name. Um, it <laughs> <laughs> seems to work on the East coast at least, that's right. <laughs> you uh, know, Jimmy, Jimmy did okay with it on the West coast too. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, the concept of, of, you know, it's about me and then I'm not, I don't expect anybody to watch what's going on behind me, but if you are the trogs or, or, you know, the experience or, you know, whatever your band name is, people are getting invested in the overall thing and consistency um, is one part of that promise that you you bring to your your audience. Um, chemistry is one part of the promise. You're kind of inviting people who come to see you, who come to listen to you. You're kind of inviting them into this thing that you've created. That's part of live music performance. Yeah. So you know that that's my thing. I mean, subs are going to happen. It's not. It's it, but but well, unless, no, not necessarily. Unless you just define that that you won't do a gig if all the band members can't make it. Which is I rarely come playing. across that. Really, I, yeah. you know, I find more people. I find strangely more people are because they're so happy to have a gig. Yep, will will take a sub. You know, we're even jaded, we're jaded middle-aged guys. We don't well, want. We don't want a sub. We know that Fling is best with five of us. We have done two two gigs uh, without Aaron uh, because he had a, a work schedule for a time that that occasionally would leave him like in the lurch at the last minute. And, um, it, you know, we weren't happy about it. And in one of those cases, we really should have canceled it. But um, because we know we're not presenting the best that Fling can be. So but right. we will never do a sub. It's, you know, can we do the gig with what's left of Fling? Yes, sort of. And we'll deal with it, you know. But, yeah, that's totally. It. Yeah. Well, so to wrap but all that's this up. rare. You're, you're right that that's rare. Most yeah. people will take a gig and sub someone, even if it's a subpar sub. Because they're unrehearsed or you know yep. not the best player, 
Most guys kind of, kind of like what the house rockers gig. are doing at the end of August. I hear they got some, some flake coming in to play a couple yeah, of but I, them. I know the flake I and know. I can like, it's a leverage risk for me <laughs> because I know. I know the flake works his butt off to, to prepare. So <laughs> yep. anyway, or he better, or he's, or his plane ticket home will be ripped up. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he'd be more concerned about his place to stay the night after the gigs. <laughs> you do have leverage. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Anyway. So the point of all this is unless it's not really a band that you're putting on. It's that, you know, you're going to, it's you that you're putting out there. So if it's just a front person and you want to be able to avoid the problem of having to run a band and you put together a book of songs um, that are, you know, pretty straightforward, not a lot of deviations, not a lot of opening up, you know, you're, you're kind of the old Frank Sinatra model that whatever town you go to, you know, yeah. they're going to assemble a band for you and the band will rehearse that day and, and, you know, then put the show on. That's one model. And if it's all about you, that model okay. may work for you. It but my can. point to all yeah. this is if it's a band, a band is a social contract. It is a social contract amongst the players. It's a social contract between the performers and the audience. And um, you really have to think long and hard about the value of consistency. And as the leader, I think insisting on that consistency is, is one of the best things you can do for everybody involved. Yeah. So, no, consistency anyway. is good. I'm I'm totally with you on that. Yeah, you got it. Well, yeah, I mean it you, you need there's a lot of things you need. You need consistency. I think it it helps to have a story. Uh you know, something that people can attach to where they can relate to you as individuals that make up this band, right? Like something where they that resonates with them. Like, oh, they're from my my area or I mean it could even be they you know, they're into the same kind of music I'm into, which if you're, you know, obviously if you're playing in a cover band, that's, that's almost a self-selecting group, unless right. you're playing songs that you think other people like, but you don't. And, and, and there's plenty of cover bands that do that. So you just need to come up with a different story that will resonate with people. Yes. Right. And that's fine, but you need to have something where people, it, you're not just this, you know, blank faceless entity that performs music really well. It, there needs to be something deeper than that, uh, that people can say, Oh yeah, I like those guys. You know, well, that, that kind of comes to, you know, before it was like cover bands and the concept was top 40 bands, right? You're, are you a top 40 band? Then, you know, the other evolution of that is the whole concept of tribute bands. You're mm -hmm. basically saying we're going to play music for people who love this type of music. It's very, very self-selecting. Yeah. Right. But even, and, I mean, even your band, right? I mean, it, you know, you're, like I can even I mean, I know you it's it's impossible for me to be objective about this, but I know that when people come to see you, part of it is they want to see what you're going to put out there and they care about you and they care about the various members of your band. And and that's what brings them out, you know, but it's they also like the music, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not one or the other. You really need both. And and it's you know, it's something that that tr helps your charisma translate to those people in a in a sort of meaningful way. Well, I appreciate you saying that and noticing that. I mean, it, it kind of was. That's the style of music I listened to growing up. Right. And that is the music that still moves me today. The concept that a band is a community, a representation of a community yes. and you're inviting people to connect to that. And so, yeah, you know, the music that we play is the no, truth at any moment, but, but the, 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 that brand band and brand promise when you come to see us is that you will see 10 guys playing their behinds off, enjoying themselves. That thing on stage will hopefully look like something that you will want to you know, be a part of. Well, and, and you do said it, every night. representative of a community. It's not all about the band. The band is just the, the, the kind of the gravity that brings it together, but it, it needs to be more than that. And, yeah. and I think a lot of bands forget that they get so focused on, we got to play these songs, right? We got to do this. And, and there's something to be said for the integrity in, in that, and that will translate. Right. But you've got to be aware of the fact that just like you said, and you've been aware of this with everything I've ever seen you do. Right. When you were even when you were just doing the conferences at Macworld Expo, that was your thing. And people knew that you cared about it, but it, you didn't try to take credit for how smart everybody else was. You were just the guy that pulled it all together and got the credit for how smart everybody else was because you knew 
that you were the, you know, just the focal point, the, the, the steward of that community, if you will. And the same is true uh, with any band. And, and obviously you do it with your band, but every band has to do that. You just have to, you have to foster that. Otherwise you won't build a community. You'll just go play from bar to bar and, you know, there might be some people there and, and that's that. But in order to bring people around, you have to be that. And, and it takes a little bit of ego and confidence to do that. Um, well, that's a great be, point. Right. Because that's how that works. Absolutely. And so, you know, that ego and confidence is maybe I should have added this. So the, here's the last thing that the thing that takes bands from that kind of beginning, you know, just taking any gig to get some experience and to get your name out there and to, you know, to have a little bit of fun up to that kind of semi working band, you know, that yeah. has some kind of regularness. It, it, I think from the musical standpoint, it is about presence and confidence. Yeah. You play differently when you know your band is going to be there on the next downbeat, right? You, you just play and that, that pop, that's makes your music pop. It does. And, you know, and, and I think that that's actually one of the biggest, you know, if, if you're a beginning band trying to work your way up, this is why rehearsal is so hard. And, you know, it's so important and just showing up and seeing what happens. You kind of do everybody a disservice unless you're, you know, crazy. Again, I'm talking about beginning guys who are trying, I'm not talking about pros right. who can totally just different. show up and do stuff. It is. But right. remember, you know, the, 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 the Beatles played six days a week for six hours a night for a long time. And many people will say that's when they became a band as opposed to guys who just wanted to do it. You know, I guess, you know, it's fair to say they were just a bunch of kids who enjoyed rock and roll. Yeah. And, but when they became a band is when they just worked and worked and worked. And then it becomes second nature and all sorts of good things. Music flows from you in a different way when you're focused, but not having to think. And you can enjoy the playing of your bandmates. And that's when a presence and confidence comes out in your playing that starts to distance you from those bands that are still faking it, you know, that yeah. are still not taking it seriously enough, which is who you're unfortunately lumped in, no matter how good you are. Unfortunately, when you're a new band coming up and nobody knows you, um, you're kind of lumped in with the guys who aren't working as hard as you. And so how do you how do you, you know, differentiate yourself? You get to that place where your band is tight and has this emanating this confidence and presence in their playing that makes you different from the guys who are looking down at their shoes, yeah. making a lot of mistakes, you know, so, nervously. So here's, here's a fact. And I, 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 I knew the Beatles played a lot before they got signed to EMI, which happened in uh, uh, 1962, I think. Uh, but when I was in Liverpool, I learned the number and it was 626 gigs before they got signed. Yeah, but that's in like two years, right? That's, that's the like, thing, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on how you count it, but it, okay, you know, I think I think technically that was like four and a half years, but but most of them, like I, I think maybe maybe thirty of them happened before nineteen sixty, and then it was nineteen sixty, nineteen sixty one, and nineteen sixty two, um, where they played, you know, six hundred gigs, right? Uh, yeah. And that that's what makes, you know, I always thought of the Beatles as this band that didn't play live much because once they kind of hit the worldwide scene, they sort of their their number of gigs dwindled because they hated them because they, yep. you know, because they couldn't hear themselves. And it, it was crazy. They couldn't even finish the show before people were, you know, storming the stage and all that stuff. But uh, but they were very much a live band. <laughs> Like they, that's they, how they, they learned to play band. together. That's, that's yeah. how they, that's it. That's exactly it. That's how they learned to play together. We got this Ron Howard documentary coming out. That's just going to be Looking awesome. Right. It. Yeah. So I much. When is, do you know when it's coming out? Yeah. It's in September. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. And when I was there, you know, Giles was uh, at Abbey road. Giles had some mixing project he was going to do. And I asked him, I'm like, uh, can you tell me what that is? He's like, no, I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. And then, but, but last week, um, it turns out it most likely because it's been announced now uh, was the uh, Washington bowl shows. I think they're they're They, Remixed. they're all remastered and everything. Yeah. 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 No, I get, I get goosebumps on the trailer for this thing. I mean, it's just, I it's know. like, the, it's like, you know, they've taken 50 years in, in a time machine and it's so bright and vivid sounding. So awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, I know. No, it's going to be great. So, hey, um, speaking of heroes and playing and all of that, we did get a question. Actually, we got this question. We got the same question from a couple of people. Um, Jeff Beck is on tour right now. In fact, his album, I think it debuted at like number 16, uh, which is amazing. Uh, but anyway, he's on the road 
And on August 10th is the final show of his tour. So that's, you know, about a week and a half away. And he has said and made several announcements about this show that this is going to be a different show than the rest of the tour. This is really going to be a retrospective of his history. He's going to play some Yardbirds tunes. And because uh, the singer from the Yardbirds is uh, is gone and, and can't join him, Steve Tyler's going to be singing. Wow. Uh, yep. Yep, which makes sense. You know, Yardbirds popularized Train Kept a Rolling. Steve Tyler also popularized that song. Right? He's the right guy to do that. Uh, several other musicians have been announced, and it's been announced that there will be other guests. <laughs> and so... Drum roll, please. We've gotten a couple of emails asking, uh, do you know anything about Jan, right? I mean, those guys did hundreds of gigs, to, over 100 gigs together. He and, and Jan Hammer and Jeff Beck played uh, a ton together. And our great friends, and Jan mentioned that when he came and talked to us. So I asked, is Jan playing this gig? Now, it's important to remember that when Jan was on the show here, uh, the last gig he played was 10 years ago. Uh, He talked about that. I was actually there. But uh, he said, no, you know, he's not going to play anymore. He doesn't like getting on planes and he doesn't like, um, you know, any of that. But, you know, you could hear in his voice that he missed it. He just said he was chicken. Um. So people have asked. So I asked. I have not gotten a no. Is what I can tell you. Mm. Yep. Um, so What's the date of the show? August 10th at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would, if I were a betting man and I were nearby, I'd get myself in the, into that room that night. Even if Jan isn't going to play and I, you know, whatever happens is going to happen. But uh, I mean, it's going to be a magical night, right? I mean, this is the the retrospective of Jeff Beck's career. Steve Tyler's going to be there for sure. Uh, Many other special guests are going to be there. So I think this is going to be a pretty special night. You're going to go? I'm trying. I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm asking some friends if they might be able to get me in the door. (laughs) You got friends in high places, that's for sure. Well, you know, I have I have uh, potentially the right friends. I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, but yeah, I just wanted to. I, we, like I said, we've gotten this question asked a couple of times. Um, at the moment, the only thing that we have gotten is that they have not said no. Um, so I don't. You know, I leave that to the rest of you, and hopefully, we can all keep our fingers crossed. Right? Sure. That could be pretty cool. So legendary. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 that's good. So that's all I got for today. What about you, Paul? No, this was fun. I, I, I felt the need to kind of talk about this because I'm thinking about thinking about those up and coming bands and, you know, you, you just, you, just old, and, you know, this is for kids too, right? Yeah. Kids who are putting, you know, should this, this humble podcast work its way down to, you know, you know, younger players. If, if any well, of this, that, those are the players that don't have leaders. Yeah. Right. It's three friends in high school or college or whatever. And it's like, let's just play. Okay. Great. Yeah. Right. You know, not every band forms that way. In fact, I was just watching a reading a, a book about fish because I've mentioned a couple of times, not as often as, as perhaps Springsteen has been mentioned by my good friend here, but, uh, Love him. but I'm a fish fan. And, uh, that band was actually formed with a poster. Like I need all the band members. Actually, I guess, I guess, uh, Trey, it was a post to the Trey Anastasio had put it up and I think he had a drummer already. I think he and Fishman knew each other. They were living together, but, uh, but the bass player definitely joined because he found a poster in his, uh, dorm. And you know, that's not bad for a career. (laughs) The bass player's dad also started store 24. I don't know if that means anything to you, Paul uh, out there. Okay. Store 24 is a, uh, convenience store chain, uh, very, very, prominent throughout new england here so i thought you were gonna say they're a band that i should know actually that would be a funny name for a band <laughs> right yeah. that would be great yeah, yeah yeah so all right that's all we got we'll see you uh we'll see you next week folks i appreciate uh, all of you listening feedback at giggabpodcast.com and of course facebook.com slash giggabpodcast we'll see you over there thanks man always be performing folks abp 